This episode of Revision Path is brought to you by Facebook Design. We talk about inspiration a lot here on Revision Path. So I wanted to ask Matthew Suber, a product designer at Facebook, what inspires him? Uh, the impact I can make. Um, I tend to focus on uh, desired end results, and I gut check myself often to make sure my end goal is the, the right thing to do. So I do that by asking a lot of questions and trying to get as much feedback as possible. Um, and the more detailed the, the feedback, uh, no matter if it's positive or less than, it's all helpful if the good intent is there. Learn more at facebook.com forward slash design. Are you looking for a job? Do you know someone who's looking for a job? Then check out our job board over at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. Whether you want a full-time job or you're looking for something temporary or freelance, we've got you covered. This week, Buffer is looking for an Android developer. And it's a remote position, so you can work from anywhere. We also have job listings from Indeed.com, so head to the Revision Path job board at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs to apply and to search for any other listings. Don't forget to sign up for weekly job alerts when there are new positions added to the job board. You'll get an email so you can be the first to apply. And if you're looking for more jobs, then become a member of our Slack community and join the jobs channel. See you there. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview, I just want to remind you again that we're having our first live event in just two weeks from now. Revision Path Live with Facebook Design is going to take place here in Atlanta on November the 7th at 6.30 p.m. We'll have some product designers from Facebook, including former guests Tori Hargrove and Carla Cole. Now, this is a special event, so if you want to attend, send us an email at revisionpathlive at fb.com, and we'll take it from there. Again, that's revisionpathlive, that's all one word, at fb.com. I'll also put this email down in the show notes. Now, let's talk about our sponsors, MailChimp, Hover, and SiteGround. Automation is huge right now, and the great thing about MailChimp is how they use automations to help make your email marketing efforts a lot more powerful. You can set up automations to reward the most active people on your list, you can send order notifications, you can follow up on purchases, and you can even do retargeting. Sign up at MailChimp.com today for a free account and give it a try. MailChimp. Send better email. Your online identity really begins with your domain name. No matter what kind of a designer or developer or artist or creative that you are, showcasing your passion online is super important. Hover makes the process of finding a domain really easy. They have hundreds of domain extensions, you can get personalized email, and they have award-winning customer service. Right now, you can get 85% off on any .design domains. Now that's a, a quick sale that's going to end on October 31st, so you don't have much time. Go to hover.com forward slash revision path, and you can get 10% off on your first purchase. SiteGround's hosting services are crafted for professional, business, or enterprise projects. They let you build better, faster, safer websites more easily, and they offer multiple options that your websites can grow into. All of SiteGround's hosting plans have managed WordPress hosting, they have staging and Git integration. 
So get started today by visiting SiteGround.com forward slash revision path. You can get 60% off on all of your hosting plans. SiteGround, web hosting crafted with care. Now for this week's interview, we're talking to Sybil Edwards, digital art director, president of DC Web Women, and chief creative officer of We Together. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. I, of course, am Sybil Edwards. I am chief creative inclusion officer of We Together, which is an organization, a strategy-focused organization where we are accompanying the movement that is dedicated to creating more inclusive organizations, communities, and fun environments. I myself, I come from the tech world. I've been, I started off as a front-end web developer many, many years ago. Over time, from front-end web development, I moved into design and strategy, art direction, creative direction. In addition to We Together, I'm currently on the digital team at UFCW, which is the United Food and Commercial Workers International Union based here in Washington, D.C., Wow, that's a lot that you're taking on right now. <laughs> oh, I got more. <laughs> well, let's. I got a lot more, but go well, ahead. Let's, let's start with uh, with We Together. Where did you get the idea to start that? We Together is the brainchild of me and my co-founder Brandon Long, and it's um, We Together with no e at the at the end. So it's to get like we and then together, but it's T H R without the e. Okay. And the purpose behind We Together, Brandon and I, we've been sort of, we're veterans of the DC tech community space for a long time. We both have done a lot of community engagement through various organizations. I'm president of um, DC Web Women, which is one of the largest women tech organizations in the DC metro area. Well, I, I think it's the largest. We have about over 3,000 members and 6,000 subscribers. He used to be one of the main principal organizers of DC Tech Meetup, which is the largest monthly tech event that happens every month where people, startups go up and they demo. They would get 400 to 600 people per event. And he's run DMV Startup and other things. I currently also am the co-founder of Black Female Founders, an organization dedicated to providing tools and resources for Black women entrepreneurs. While we've been in and around that space for a while now, one of the things that, while we've definitely seen a lot of progress, definitely for women in tech, for women of color in tech and men of color in tech, there still seems to be some challenges as far as getting hired, promoted, growing within organizations, everywhere from large corporations down to the smallest startups. And so we decided that we wanted to create a company that was focused specifically to work with organizations of all sizes to help them with their tech inclusion efforts. Cause people talk about tech inclusion all the time. It's like a really big thing now that people talk about, but the challenge is people keep talking about it. We keep looking at these various diversity numbers coming out of Twitter, Facebook, various organizations, and these numbers aren't improving. And so why is that? And I think part of the challenge that I feel that's one of the problems that's causing this, and my co-founder believes it as well, is they're not approaching it the right way. They're approaching inclusion like they did with diversity 30 years ago. It doesn't work. It's a completely different environment, time, and everything. So we created We Together basically to try to help organizations figure out how they can improve inclusion within their own ecosystems. So 
Yeah. The, That's what we do. I was going to say, though, you're <laughs> right. The whole tech inclusion is even actually a, a conference series called tech inclusion. So, so clearly it's something that a lot of people are, are getting behind. When you say that, that folks are approaching it in the same way that they approach diversity, can you clear that up a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Well, without start saying how old I am, I, from my many experiences over the years, and I, and to just give you an idea, I came to tech much later than a lot of people do, which gives me another kind of perspective. But traditionally, people have approached diversity within their organizations. They bring in either a consultant or they bring in a chief diversity officer and they end up putting all this pressure on this one person to solve all of their diversity issues. Mm-hmm. And generally what ends up happening is they, they'll set up these programs and they'll work with human resources to say, okay, well, we need to go out and talk to these groups more and, you know, these different constituency groups, like either black or Latino LGBT and tell them that you're looking for them and you're hiring and, and all these great things and, and be visible so that they want to come and work for you. And, that helps a little bit, but how much does it seriously move the needle? Other things that companies tend to do that I find is maybe they could do a better job with is the expectation that they that they ask of their own team, their own staff. They kind of basically come to them and say, okay, well, you know, we need to improve diversity. And so here are the efforts that we're doing And, you know, we would like your support on this, but not really asking their teams to really go out and and help them with this issue. Because a company's biggest evangelist is always going to be their employees. Whenever you go out, you're representing that company. And there's no better person to go out to help you diversify and recruit new candidates to your organization than your, your team, your staff. And a lot of times they don't utilize that. And in some cases, that ends up causing resentment, too, because they feel that they're being forced to accept your diversity initiatives without really having any ownership of it. And as we see what happened with Google, (laughs) you have people who, you know, they decide, oh, well, I don't like this and I'm going to share my thoughts with everybody. Mm -hmm. And that ended up turning into a, as we all well know, very sort of intense situation. But I applaud Google for how they handled it because unfortunately that, that gentleman who wrote the memo, he said it out loud that I'm sure there are other people that are thinking very, are thinking secretly. Right. And of course, when you think about the inclusion uh, factor with, with companies, it's also the fact that the community at that organization was open enough for him to, to express those views in that way. Exactly. Exactly. Now, I, I do have a question, and there's something that I haven't asked other people when we sort of talk about diversity. But earlier you said, you know, that there are large tech companies like like Twitter, like Facebook, et cetera, and we're not kind of seeing the needle move. And I've seen those diversity reports, too. It's the percentage point may go up maybe 1% or, or 2%, et cetera. What kind of change would you like to see? Because I know that, you know, with a company as big as Google or Facebook, 1% or 2%, I think, from the outside, doesn't look like a lot. But from them, that may be hundreds of people or thousands of people just based on kind of the, the size of their of their organization. And I'm not playing devil's advocate by asking that, but I'm just curious, like, what kind of steps would you like to see companies take that you don't see them doing now? 
Yeah. And I think you bring up an excellent point because I think if we start doing it as sort of percentage points and do it as a numbers game, everyone's going to lose because at the same time, you don't necessarily want to encourage quotas, but at the same time, what kind of metrics can be devised to show that there is improvement in the area of diversity and inclusion? So one of the things that I really feel that companies need to take a look at is look at it very holistically. One of the big things for me, a a huge sign that an organization really understands inclusion and really believes in building their teams holistically, it's not going to be like a bunch of people of color on lower levels. It has to be sort of mixed in throughout the whole entire infrastructure and within the whole entire hierarchy of the organization. So while, yeah, it's great. I'm glad you're hiring more people of color developers, but what about managers? What about directors? What about BPs, SVPs, board members, that kind of thing. And that stuff's not going to necessarily happen overnight. But to me, if you're a company and you really, really believe in this, you're going to figure out how to holistically build inclusion within your organization from the bottom up and the top down. Because I I think what tends to happen is people just want to sort of create this funnel and they'll show a lot of improvement in one area, but then there are other areas that get neglected. So for me, that's the sign of real success for an organization. It's to me, it's even less about the numbers as much as it's about where when you do create these opportunities of inclusion within your organization, where are people taking advantage of it? Where is it happening? And are you continuing to nurture it and, and help it grow? And now with We Together, can you talk about some of the ways that you're helping companies do that? Well, one of the ways that we're, we're trying to do right now, I can't talk company names necessarily at the moment, okay. but, but one of the ways that we're doing is we are building a strategy for these companies so that they could create what I call organic pipelines into their organization. Because for instance, there's a a particular startup where they were having the challenge of how we want to bring in more people of color, particularly people of color who developers into our organization. And this is always kind of a tricky situation because Traditionally, or not traditionally, but sort of what I've been noticing lately, what companies will do is they'll they'll go out and they'll sponsor, they'll find a couple of organizations that are focused around people of color in tech or, you know, marketing or design or whatever. And, you know, they'll sponsor a few events or they will reach out to those organization leaders and say, hey, you know, you can come and do some things in our space. And that's actually not a bad way to approach it, but it, does, it cannot be sort of a singular focus. So... What we've been doing is sort of developing a a very holistic sort of strategy that's not just, you know, it's not about just sponsoring events. It's not just about reaching out to various leaders. It could be, you know, in addition to hosting this hackathon event around people of color, it could be also, you know, maybe have a day set in your company where people come in and they get to work with and talk with some of the organization leaders, Maybe it's about creating actual programs within your organization where you can have people come in, maybe even straight out of high school and teach them coding right there at your company with the goal that once they're done through this period that you then hire them. 
So those are just some of the ways that we're, we're looking at how to approach it. I mean, there's so many other ways, though. One of the biggest ways, and this is actually one of the hardest things, believe it or not, is being upfront and frank with people about their culture. Because I think while you can create pipelines and you could create organically create opportunities for people to people of color to join your organization. The truth is if what tends to happen, and this has happened to me personally, you might get hired. And then after a year or two at that company, you start to recognize, Hmm, I'm not being nurtured. I'm not really being developed here. And even worse, you find out you might not be getting paid as much as the other people around Mm -hmm. you. And so you bounce and, you know, you figure it out. Okay. I put my time in and then you go somewhere else where you think you're going to be treated better. And that's something else that, that companies need to recognize that even if you do hire great diverse talent, how do you retain those people? How do you keep them there? You can't do it. You know, it's not enough just to get them in the door you also have to nurture that talent. And I I had a wonderful conversation yesterday with a young woman at a very big organization whose name I won't mention, (laughs) but very big tech organization. And she was very upfront with me. And she said, I don't feel fulfilled here. I don't feel like I'm being nurtured. um, And I feel like my ideas, my recommendations, my work is being questioned a little too much. Mm -hmm. And it's those very subtle things. It's it's almost like, you know, a death from a thousand cuts. It's it's not necessarily one big offensive thing that happens. It's generally a lot of subtle things that tend to happen over a period of time that a lot of great, diverse staff team members start to recognize, hmm, maybe I'm not as valued as I thought I was. Mm-hmm. That sounds eerily like my experience before I left and started my own business. I was working somewhere and all of these little microaggressions just kept piling on. It was, it was a combination of microaggressions and getting found out or and finding out that I was getting paid much less than my coworkers, even though I know I was doing much more work. And then eventually I, I left and I mean, I don't think it was any hard feelings on either end. Like, I had put in two years. I was ready for something new. I felt like I was being stifled by the rules that they had. And I guess they kind of felt the same way. I don't know, but I know what you mean. Like you do all this stuff. Companies do all these things to bring in diverse men and women of color. They do hackathons. They go to HBCUs. They go to NABJ or et cetera, but they do all of these things, Mm -hmm. but then they're not taking a look at their own culture to say, what Correct. is it about this place that makes people want to work here? I worked with a company back in, in 2015, and it was very much the same thing. They didn't want to look at their internal culture to see what it was that was kind of preventing people of color from wanting to work there. Because they were doing like open events and all this sort of stuff. But I mean, I would go and I would talk to people there and they're like, yeah, I just don't see myself working here. And it, mm-hmm. it's just sort of one of those things I think... I feel like if you're someone that just exists outside of the, I don't know, straight, white, cisgendered male construct, there are just these certain things that you pick up on in a place that make you think this may or may not be for you. And it's hard to kind of verbalize what that is, 
but you know it when you feel it's like a gut feeling. It absolutely is, Maurice. I, I will tell you, this is, you know, what you described your situation is something that has happened to me, happened to almost every, definitely every Black and Asian person that I, colleagues and contacts and friends that I know. This is something that they, you know, and, and my co-founder, his significant other, she's Latina and she's, and she's hearing impaired. And so she gets it from both ends, both black Latina and also being hearing impaired and how she's been treated. And it, like you said, it's these subtle microaggressions, but like I said, it's a death by a thousand cuts. And then over time you start to realize there's no opportunity for growth for you in that company. So you decide, you know, to, to start looking for greener pastures. And in many cases, many people start their own businesses like your, you know, like yourself. You know, I've known a number of black women who started their own businesses because of the, those exact reasons. Yeah. You just try to find, find what your niche is, find what that happy place is for you, because you may realize that you put in this time and this work and it's not paying off the way you thought it would. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's kind of switch gears a little bit. I don't want us to, to just <laughs> like, like, like continue to go down like the, not saying that it's a, it's a, a bad spiral, but you know, we, I do want to talk about you and your work. First of all, I have to congratulate you. You were part of Essence's Woke 100 for 2017. Is that right? Correct. Thank and you I mean, so and much. I mean, among some, some great company, I was scrolling through the list. I'm like, you're right between Ava DuVernay and Catherine Finney. Which is a really good company to be in. I mean, of course, we know what Catherine is doing with, with Digital Undivided. And I think anyone that has a set of eyes knows what Ava DuVernay is doing in, in television and in film. Tell me about that honor. Like, how did that come about? That, you know, I will tell you, that was to me, I don't know what was more awesome, being picked on the list or being stuck between those two amazing women. <laughs> <laughs> Because when I was scrolling down, the first time they sent me the link, oh, oh, here, you know, here's the Woke 100 list, you know, go check yourself out. And I scrolled down. I was like, yes, <laughs> Ava DuVernay and then Catherine Finney. Catherine is amazing. I've actually met her a few times and she is truly, truly a ball of energy. And I love her. She's been kicking the space even before I was. You know, I moved into the entrepreneur space and particularly black women entrepreneur space a few years or so ago. But, you know, she's one of the pioneers. And so I want to definitely take this moment to give her a shout out and props for her being one of the main people to lay down the groundwork that that needed to be laid down related to this particular issue. So Catherine's just amazing. Anna, I mean, what can I say? Just, you know, what can you say? (laughs) The woman, you know. She's amazing. You know, can't wait for her next movie, The Wrinkle in Time. I'm looking forward to that. But yeah, but as far as finding out about being on the Woke 100 list, it was truly a surprise. I mean, I literally got an email out of the blue of someone saying a few months before I found out, someone from Essence reached out and said they were doing some research about women in tech and they wanted some information about me. And I thought it was just for a regular article, you know, because I periodically get people reaching out who want to get quotes or they want me to connect them with potential people to get quotes on and so on. So I didn't think anything of it, just somebody saying they were a researcher at Essence. And I didn't hear anything back for about three months. And then out of the blue, I got this email saying, you know, we were about to do this issue for the Woke 100 and you've been selected. And I was like, what? 
That is insane. I mean, I it shocked me. It shocked me. And it was so funny. And then within a week or two, not even, I don't even think it was a full two weeks. They announced that they told me I was on it. And then next thing I know, it was up on the, on their site and they had this issue out. And one of the really coolest things about it, aside from being stuck between Catherine and Anna, was I, of course, this is something I could share with my mom. Cause yeah. you probably know this being somebody in this space and, you explain things to family members and they're sort of like, oh, yeah, that's that's really cool. I like what you're doing. That's interesting. <laughs> but you're like, do they really, really get what I'm talking about? Do they really get it? I mean, half the time I don't even tell my mother about some of the things that I do because I don't think it's interesting to her. She comes from the HR world and she's worked for the federal government for over 30 years. And, you know, this tech stuff, it's like, uh, so I don't really tell her and my sister much about it. And then this was an opportunity to tell them about it. And of course, they were thrilled because they were like, Essence, oh my God. Right. <laughs> my mother must have forwarded to like every family member <laughs> that I had, she forwarded to cousins I didn't even know I had. <laughs> <laughs> I got a quote in something. It was like an ebony piece on, uh, who was it? It was on Nicole Bitchy, who's a, she's a, a popular blogger, does celebrity blogging and stuff like that and i think i i was quoted in an article and i told my mom about it and she like got five copies of ebony i'm like mom i'm not in <laughs> ebony like it's not about me but it's just a quote she's like oh my baby is in ebony like okay all right <laughs> it's flattering but i'm like it's not about me so but i, I know what you mean it's, it's making i don't know because sometimes there is that disconnect i think between generations because you know we're working in mm-hmm. this kind of digital space and them trying to to connect to it in some sort of way. And this is one of the ways that it does is kind of through media, which I think is is really important. My mother's actually quite tech savvy. I, I'm, I'm amazed at how much stuff she knows. But, you know, she's not quite as savvy as me, but she's still pretty savvy. But, you know, that said, she doesn't follow the digital stuff. She doesn't follow digital issues. And I tell her about, you know, little accomplishments here and there. And she, you know, she's proud, you know, your parents are proud of you, but until it's like in something like they really know, like Ebony or Essence, or especially since those, those magazines are institutions within the African-American community, particularly, then it somehow, it really legitimizes. It's like, Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you hit big time. <laughs> <laughs> if there is one to give some criticism here, I do wish that, you know, these same types of, of media outlets were kind of doing more around showcasing what's going on in like design and technology. Cause I feel like it's, it passes at some point through a lens of entertainment. Correct. You know what I mean? Like, like for example, of course we have things like fast company and we've got wired and stuff like that. And when you think about, you know, kind of black media publications, we have essence, we've got ebony, we've got jet. We, we might have a few others, but I know we have a lot of online properties and things, but everything seems to kind of filter through entertainment. And when there is tech stuff or design stuff that's mentioned, it's, it's like a little blip, you know, it's like a listicle or, or something like that, you know? Or, or when they do mention tech, it's through the, through the lens of celebrity, like title yeah, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. or, or something along those lines. And I think you're right. I think this is something that black media I do see some improvements, but this is something I really feel that to help take us to that next level, we need to take a concerted effort, particularly in black media, 
to focus on those stories and those individuals that are doing things like that. There are people out there doing amazing things like Macy Peterson, you know, Stacey Philpott Brown, Philpott Brown and, and others who are in the digital space who are really moving the needle and they need to be talked about as much as Mark Zuckerberg, at least definitely within black media. Right. One of the things that I find is a challenge because I do a lot of outreach work in the community and I've been part of things where, you know, that work with particularly young African-American girls, girl teens that so much of their experience is through celebrities and what they see on Instagram and and Snapchat and so, and others. And they don't recognize that there's this whole other thing that's happening. These whole other, there are women out there who are really moving the needle and men out there really moving the needle because they're not being talked about in traditional black media. And they don't realize there's an opportunity for them you know, because not everybody's going to be, you know, not everyone's going to be Beyonce. It's just, let's just keep it real. Not everyone's <laughs> going to sing. Not everyone's going to play ball. Not everybody's going to be CEO of some car co- corporation or, you know, those are the people that they highlight, the people from sort of traditional industries or entertainment. Mm-hmm. And, but yet, who knows? You might be the female black females, Mark Zuckerberg. You might be, but you don't know about that opportunity because nobody talks about yeah. it. I mean, I've been doing Revision Path now. It'll be going on five years, and it has been a struggle to get any sort of attention from black media. I mean, even reaching out to reporters and writers directly, it's been a struggle. I think we got a blurb in in Uptown Magazine like years and years oh, wow. ago. But mm. other than that, like it's been a struggle to to get what I'm doing out to that audience that I feel like would benefit from it the most. I'm going to get on my soapbox here, but uh, I'll keep it brief. (laughs) We have to understand that right now, the next civil rights movement, well, it's not even next, it's already here, is the economic movement. Black people have been in the United States for over two centuries. And as a whole, as a group, we are still struggling. And yes, there are definitely a lot of lights and a lot of, a great deal of improvement, you know, obviously. But... We as uh, economically compared to other groups, we are still largely behind. And the only way that we're really going to be able to catch up is we need to have economic. We need to really push economics and particularly push things like tech as a way to help sort of grow our economic base. And when I talk about tech and I want to be very clear here with this. A lot of people, they get upset with me when I talk about STEM because they think people focus too much on STEM, you know, science, technology, engineering, math, Mm -hmm. or they think that, you know, not all, you know, not all kids, kids of color are going to become engineers or be coders or developers. And hey, I get that. Absolutely. I'm not saying that all, you know, we should force these kids to try to learn to be coders and developers, but There are other things you can do. You could be a UX designer. You could be an interface designer. You can be, you know, you could be a content developer. You could be a digital marketer. There are so many things tied into tech, into the digital space Mm -hmm. that a lot of our young men and women of color can, that they could really, they could get into those fields and excel in that we don't even talk about. We don't even have these conversations with them. 
We're still talking about people going to school to learn to become doctors and lawyers. Yeah. I mean, seriously. I'm like, how many doctors and lawyers are out there? Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with being a doctor and lawyer. But, you know, there are other fields that are out there that kids can go to school. You know, there are more things than just getting an MBA that you could do that you could still be successful. I mean, video games. You know, I'm having this conversation right now with my 17-year-old nephew. My sister, God bless her, she's been really pushing him like, you know, you should really think about doing video game design. And he's just kind of like, okay, mom. But <laughs> we're, we're having these conversations with him because it's a multi-billion dollar industry. Yeah. He could de- be a game developer or he can maybe he's the person that writes the stories for the games. I don't know. I mean, plays with them enough. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> so somehow we have to start wrapping around the idea of us not just being consumers of tech, but also producers of it. Yeah. And one thing that I I am really grateful for, and I know I keep bringing this back to, to revision path is how, you know, the media is, is an important way to get those stories out. Cause like a lot of what you're saying, like what you're relaying about to your nephew and things like that, how would he know about that? If he's not seeing it somewhere, if he's not hearing about it somewhere, many folks that we have on the show, when they talk about how they got into what their particular field was, it wasn't necessarily because of what they learned in college. They saw someone that was doing something that they wanted to do and they sort of went after it or they, they happened to kind of fall into it by consequence or something like that. It hasn't been something where they knew that it was an innate thing. They could, because they didn't have that exposure to it and how people get that exposure to it is different. Some of it is through family, some through education. But a lot of exposure, particularly through, I think, through this generation is through media. And so if they're not seeing themselves in these particular spaces and places that they want to be at, it's important to show that. Absolutely. I I mean, that's always been another big hobby horse of mine is how we're represented in media. And things like television and movies are very powerful when they show us as doctors and scientists, as coders and developers that sends us a message that this is something that you could do. And in the media, when they don't, when they don't highlight the stories, when they don't highlight those stories, those stories are omitted. And therefore, you know, lots of young people feel that, oh, well, you know, they're not people out there who are doing this. And so I do think that there's an opportunity for, for the media, whether it's TV, movies, print, online, you name it, to basically to help really tell that full story because we're out there. I mean, I run into black developers, coders, technologists every single day, talk to them all the time. Mm-hmm. But if you look to the media, just, you would think that we didn't exist. <laughs> mm-hmm. You don't have to tell me. I know that all too well. Design media exactly. is, is very homogenous and really does not show people of color in general, I feel like it's starting mm-hmm. to brown a little bit, but not yeah. enough, I think. Like the fact that I've been doing this, you know, for so long and I'll still hear people say, well, where are the black designers? Where are the black <laughs> whatever? I'm like, I, I literally made a presentation in 2015 called Where Are the Black Designers? Like I, I know where they are. I've talked to hundreds of them. They're out there. Like what outreach are you doing or or anything like that? So, yeah, the media definitely plays its part in and how it continues the perception of what is possible and what is available for people, mm-hmm. you know, just in general. Absolutely. Absolutely. Agree. Let's let's switch gears again, because you mentioned that you do talk to, like you said, 
people of color that are designers, developers, et cetera. And you're the president of, of DC Web Women, which, like you said, is the largest organization of its sort in DC. Can you talk to me about how you got started with them? I will say I didn't create DC Web Women. DC Web Women's been around since the mid 90s. And it was started as, you know, almost like a coffee clutch of women who came together because there was this new thing called the internet. And they, wanted to learn more about the web, how to write for it, design for it, how to create businesses on the web. And they would go around to on various message boards and they were finding that they couldn't get the information. And, and in some cases when they would acknowledge that they were women, their responses would be indifferent at best to hostile at worst. And so DC web woman was born as a result of that need to create a safe space for women to come together to talk about technology, particularly internet technology. And I myself, I joined the organization. It was kind of an interesting lark. I'm from the DC metro area. I, I was raised in Northern Virginia, but my family um, on my mother's side is from Texas. And I had um, moved back to Texas for a few years because I decided I wanted to get a degree in web design and multimedia. So once I got my degree, floated around for a bit. And then I decided, you know, I wanted to move back to DC because there were a lot more job opportunities in my field here and lucked out, got a great job, moved to DC in 2006, back to DC in 2006. And I was on the bus one day and I had a book about flash. Remember flash? (laughs) (laughs) And by the way, I love flash, like all good things. (laughs) And I had a, had a book sitting on my lap and a woman was sitting next to me and it turned out her name was Michelle Kaufman and she was um, the board of DC Web Women. And she said, oh, are you a coder? And I was like, oh, yeah, I, well, I'm a friend and web developer. And she's like, oh, OK, well, you know, you should check out this organization that I'm part of DC Web Women. So she told me the website and she got off the bus and I went home and I looked it up and I was like, this looks kind of cool. So I went to a meeting and just had a great experience. And then I started volunteering for them. And then I just started volunteering for various positions within the organization. And in 2010, I became president of the organization. This last seven years has been a wild ride. I'll tell you this much, because at the time there was, we were one of two women tech organizations in the entire like Maryland, Virginia, DC area. And we were one of the few women tech organizations in the whole country. Wow. And then just within the last four to five years has been this exponential explosion of organizations geared to women and girls in tech. And it's just been really, truly amazing. And I loved it. I love it, love it, love it, because we need more voices on this issue. And to me, I just find that so many of us are out there and we're just you know, we're united in the mission of promoting and supporting women and girls in tech. And I just think it's just been absolutely great. The unfortunate thing is we're still sort of dealing with some of the same issues that we were dealing with over a decade ago, but there's definitely been some improvement. And I think a lot of it has to do with the efforts of so many women out there, like Kimberly Bryant with Black Girls Code and others and and women who code and girl develop it and so many organizations out there who are really just really pushing the conversation forward on this issue. What has your time serving with DC Web Women taught you? It's definitely taught me leadership because while there was always sort of a part of me that 
always wanted to to give back into particularly to the community of of, of women tech, women in tech because they supported me so I wanted to turn around and support it back at the various companies that I worked with there wasn't always opportunities for leadership and so DC Web Women gave me that opportunity to be able to lead teams be able to come up with great ideas big ideas to create consensus and compromise when necessary. A lot of the, the so-called soft skills that people, you know, companies like to value, but they don't necessarily teach you. I really felt that I learned that through my years of volunteering. Now, where do you see the organization kind of going into the future? Well, one of the one of the great things, I just brought on a recruited a young woman. Her name is Priyanka Kamala. And she's a young Indian woman, a millennial. And I, I specifically brought her on because I really felt she's she's been out in the space doing a lot of keynotes and, and speeches and talking to different people about her journey at, in the tech as a woman of color. And I've just been very impressed with her and impressed with her leadership skills. And so I went out to her and I said, you know, I, I would love for you to join DC Web Women. I'm not going to be president forever. And we have to think about the future of the organization. And I think you are the right person to help lead DC Web Women into the future. And it's been a wonderful experience working with her because she really gets it. And one of the key things with DC Web Women that we're really trying to shoot for is to create the sense of continued sense of community. Because one of the things people always say that they love about DCWW is our sense of community and and the opportunities to connect and network with, with other women and men in the space. Because men are very important. Men can be members. And that was something that we hadn't done for since the inception of the organization. And back when I first became president, I decided, no, if we, we cannot move the needle if we don't allow men to join because we need men as allies. So we opened up our doors and then men started joining. And that was that was a wonderful, you know, wonderful thing. And has continued to help the organization grow. So we're going to continue to build on that. We're going to continue to reach out to other like-minded organizations to help build upon our mission as an organization. One of the other things that DC Web Women is going to be focusing on that Priyanka and I talked about this and to me, it's, it's one of the things that I really feel is one of the most underreported, undiscussed things in tech, and that's self-care and wellness. So many of us in the tech space, we neglect ourselves deeply. Many of our jobs are, are very high, you know, intense, high stress. We're constantly sitting in front of the computers. We're coding at crazy hours. We put in crazy hours. A lot of times we grab food on the go. That's not always the best and healthiest food. Because of a lot of the stress and the hours we work, we may not sleep a full eight hours a day. That affects our ability. Sitting in front of the computer, we get we end up developing repetitive stress syndrome, like carpal tunnel, back issues, you name it. And then you try, you know, and then of course the psychological stress of all of that. And then try adding being a woman and if you're a woman that has a family to support <laughs> on top of all of that. It's a lot. It's a lot to deal with. It is a lot. I mean, it is a lot, but nobody talks about it. No one talks about self-care and about wellness within the tech space. 
in the digital space. And I myself have gotten severely burnt out. There was a period of time, um, even last year, where I couldn't even go to any tech events because I was just so fried. And you have to take time out to take care of yourself. I've started meditating. I've switched to a, a more holistic, more wholesome diet, eating more organic, eating at better times. I've been doing a lot of walking and, and light forms of exercise and just also just listening to a lot of podcasts on wellness and, and just things that sort of move me into a space where I can de-stress and, and decompress because so many of us just, we don't do that. And over time it, it builds and, you know, particularly for people of color, you know, we have the additional stress of dealing with a lot of microaggressions as a result of our race or ethnicity. And all of these things over time, you know, they cause health issues, diabetes, high blood pressure, issues related to your heart. You know, I could go on and on. And so that's something that I'm, I'm really, really proud of. Priyanka, she's really big into wellness just as her own, as part of her own lifestyle. And so she's starting to incorporate some of those elements within our framework as an organization. And as a matter of fact, the Coder Conference, coderconference.com, if you want to go look it up. And the conference starts next weekend, Friday and Saturday. And we have built in some wellness components as part of the conference. Like we're on Friday, we're going to have a session on yoga. On Saturday, we're, we're having sport and health are coming in and they're going to be doing some relaxation techniques and de-stressing techniques. And we're going to have some vendors there who are going to be talking about self-care and wellness. Because like I said, I, I think this is just one of, this is a, a really under-discussed, under-reported issue in digital. You know, I went to a conference in 2015, the Black and Design Conference, and they did something similar. They had like this wellness component. I think it was the day, the first day of the event, they had like a a soul yoga class. Oh, wonderful. That oh, was wonderful. that was great. I mean, it was certainly unexpected, but like they had, I forget what it was that was playing. It was something everybody, some song everyone knew, some, I think it was like a Patti LaBelle song or something, but then they were doing that and like... <laughs> doing like basic yoga moves to it was great it was wonderful like i had never seen anything like that i thought it was a great way to kind of get everyone started because it it started early in the morning and it's like yeah people kind of file in and get coffee and shuffle into their seats but Mm -hmm. like i think that component did something where it just shifted the energy in the room so then everyone was just kind of more aware and and available for all the information that kind of came in. So I like that that what you mentioned is going to be a part of that. I'd like to see more conferences do stuff like that. I think so too. I I mean I I think all events they need to like maybe the first five minutes do some sort of stretch and and decompressing and breathing exercises. Just something that just like you said it helps shift the energy of the room and and puts people in the right mindset for learning. Yeah. So where do you want to accomplish for the rest of the year? You mentioned uh, the Coder Conference. And actually, by the time this this episode airs, it will have <laughs> the conference will have passed. But I know some of the people that, that oh, you're going to have <laughs> uh, speaking. Uh, Rika Rosario. I think uh, James Vanilla is speaking. Regine Gilbert is speaking. 
But for the rest of the year, like, what do you see yourself wanting to accomplish? Oh, wow. One of the big things that we're going to try to accomplish is I'm going to, Priyanka and I and the rest of the leadership team are going to sit down and talk about DC Web Women moving forward for 2018. I think that's really, really important because right now as an organization, we have to sort of look at where do we fit within the space, particularly since there's now a number of women or tech organizations, what value do we provide as an organization? Are we continuing to provide value? These are the kinds of things that conversations that I think all organizations need to have with themselves on a yearly basis, or at least bi-yearly. Where are we? What are we doing? And where are we going? And are we continuing to provide value? Because what tends to happen is organizations over time particularly one that's been around as long as DC Web Women, if you don't do these periodic check-ins, you start to find that you get into routine. You start finding that your membership is dwindling because people feel, well, I've started at this level when I first joined DC Web Women, but now I'm at this new level and they're no longer providing what I need. So we need to figure out are we continuing to provide value for people as they, as they continue to grow in their careers? So that's our big thing after the, the conference to focus on. And just how to continue to move DC Web Women moving forward. One of my big, big things that I'm going to be working on specifically with DC Web Women is developing the DC Web Women Foundation. And the purpose behind that is while the organization itself provides training, on coding and development, you know, professional development, um, networking and, and, and other things. One of the things that I've been learning from my experience with DC Web Women and Black Female Founders and through We Together is the fact that all this stuff is great and it's wonderful, but how are you making impact? Because impact is really important. When you have any kind of organization now, one of the things I always ask people is what is your impact? What are you doing to change, move the needle? Mm-hmm. It's just not enough now to just say, oh, I'm, you know, this organization for black designers. Okay, that's great. That's nice. So, you know, what are you doing that's bringing something new to this space? So the goal behind the foundation is to specifically, one of the things I've always wanted to do with DC Web Women is offer scholarships for high school girls who are entering the college, as well as career changers. So people who are older, who were like me, who were, had a different career and decided they wanted to get into tech at a later point in their life, be able to give them funding so they can go to school, so they can learn tech. Other things that I want to do with the foundation is to be able to support women-led tech ventures. This is something that women receive nationally about 7% of funding as a whole. And it's, I mean, that number is abysmal. It's just absolutely abysmal. And black women, it's almost less than 1% of funding nationally. And so what I'm hoping with the foundation is that we can gather the funds to be able to help fund these, these ventures and to give them seed money so that they can continue to grow and scale. And now for you specifically, and this, this question comes from, uh, from Paul Anthony Webb, who's one of our patrons. He wanted to know what's next for you. You've already done so much. 
what personally do you want to do? Tell him that's a great question because <laughs> I've been thinking, no, that question is just all too timely right now. I've been thinking a lot about this. And the reason I got so passionate when I started talking about the wellness thing is because of some things that I've encountered over the last two or three years with my own life, dealing with certain health issues with myself and my own family, and just seeing so many of my colleagues, many of them incredibly successful in the digital space, incredibly successful struggling with things like mental health issues physical health issues, you name it. And my next mission is going to be around wellness and tech. That's really my next big mission is wellness and tech and how that kind of envelops within tech inclusion as well. Because I, I don't think those things are separate because I, like I said, I, I find that communities of color are, and, and white women, we are particularly as a group, as, a, as communities, we tend to be hit some of the hardest health-wise because of the additional stresses that are placed upon us. So I'm, I have some things burning right now that I'm cooking in the back that on this issue that you guys should be hopefully start seeing some things happening pretty soon around it. But yeah, that's a big focus for me moving forward. Well, yeah, definitely. Let me know. Let our audience know when you have those things ready. We'd love to, to share that information. <laughs> Will do, will do. Well, just to kind of, you know, wrap things up here, Sybil, where can our audience find out more about you and about your work online? Oh, yeah. I mean, you can essentially Google me. Go to wetogether.com, which is, um, I'm going to spell it out because like I said, it's W-E-T-O-G-E-T-H-R. So remove the last E, okay. dot com. And you can reach out to me through there. You can also reach me through dcwebwoman.org. And I mean, you, if you send something to the contact page, it'll get to me, I promise. Also through my LinkedIn account as well, feel free to reach out to me. I'm usually pretty responsive. If I don't reach out to you in a few days, you know, I, I will get to you, I promise. And, you know, you could just see me in and around DC at various tech events. And of course, Black Female Founders, blackfemalefounders.org. And you can email me anytime through that website and that literally goes right to me. So, <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Well, Sybil Edwards, I want to thank you again so much for coming on the show. And I want to just thank you really for all of the work that you are doing, not just in, you know, the DC web community, which is, is certainly very important, but you know, the fact that you're also taking on these larger issues around representation, particularly around wellness in technology. And, and I mean, I think that filters out also to design as well, because tech and design tend to be pretty closely connected these days. I feel what impacts one often impacts the other. So I'm just grateful that you're, you're out here doing this work and I really look forward to seeing what comes from the future. So thank you again for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Marisa. It's been a real honor and a real joy to chat with you. Thoughts of love are And that's it for this week. Big thanks to Sybil Edwards and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Sybil and her work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Also, thanks as always to our sponsors, Facebook Design, MailChimp, Hover, and SiteGround. Facebook designers work on creative products that are used by over 2 billion people. Their mission is to make the world more open and connected, and they use design to create prototypes, shape experiences, and ultimately solve problems as well. 
Learn more about Facebook Design at facebook.com forward slash design. Whether you need to sell your products, share some big news, or just tell a story, MailChimp makes it easy to create campaigns that best suit your message. Automate your marketing efforts, put your data to work, and watch the results just roll in. Visit MailChimp.com and sign up for a free account today. MailChimp. Send better email. Every great idea deserves a great domain name, and Hover takes all the hassle and confusion out of buying and managing your domains. They offer free private domain registration, your choice of hundreds of domain extensions, and you can connect those domains to your WordPress site, your Behance, or your Dribbble profile, or even your LinkedIn profile. Ready to get started? Go to hover.com forward slash revision path and get 10% off your first purchase. Since 2004, SiteGround has been empowering web professionals and beginners alike to build better, faster, safer websites easily without having to worry about hosting. Just visit SiteGround.com forward slash revision path and get 60% off on all your hosting plans. SiteGround, web hosting crafted with care. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. If you liked this episode, please do us a huge favor. First, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, and next, leave us a rating and a review. It only takes a minute or two. It really helps the show by bumping us up in the rankings there for design podcasts, and I'll even read your review right here on the show. Also, don't forget we're having our first live event here in Atlanta in two weeks, November 7th at 6.30 p.m. If you want to attend, send us an email at revisionpathlive at fb.com, and we'll take it from there. I'll put the email down in the show notes as well. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. Visit us at yepitslunch.com for all your design, strategy, and creative consulting needs. And if you like the work that we're doing here with Revision Path, then please consider becoming a patron. Now more than ever, Revision Path needs your support to make sure that stories about black designers and creatives in our field are being told in their own words. So if you support us, if you support our mission, just go to patreon.com forward slash revision path and pledge today. For just $5 a month, you can get access to behind the scenes information about the show, upcoming interviews, and so much more. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.